and welcome to the Menatides Podcast. Today's episode, uh, I'm going to be talking about several different topics. Those topics I'm going to be talking about are the 2019 Royal Rumble, as well as the fallout from Raw and SmackDown Live this week, Dean Ambrose leaving the WWE, my thoughts on the editor's cut of Spider-Man 3, which I recently got to watch, uh, Aquaman becoming DC Comics' highest grossing film of all time, the Birds of Prey teaser clip, Zack Snyder's next film, and the biggest DCEU news that came out today, it's Wednesday evening that I'm recording this, and that is Ben Affleck no longer be par- being part of Matt Reeves' The Batman. I'll provide any and all links that I'll be referencing throughout this podcast. Uh, I have no script for this one. I'm just, that's why I'm calling this one the shoot in the shit episode. Because I'm just gonna go with my heart. Just shoot from the hip, as they say. And just say what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. Now let's get started with the 2019 Royal Rumble. This past Sunday, I did not watch the kickoff show because I'm not going to make myself sit for almost seven hours of WWE TV. I haven't done it for WrestleMania, haven't done it for SummerSlam, haven't done it for Survivor Series, so I sure as shit ain't going to do it for the Royal Rumble. But with my predictions, if y'all checked it out last week, uh, not counting the surprise, pointless, don't know why they made it happen. Chad Gable, Bobby Roode versus AOP match on the kickoff show. My predictions were 8 to 1. I got 8 correct and 1 wrong. And the one that I got wrong was the US title match where Shinsuke Nakamura actually defeated Rusev. And more of on that when we get to the SmackDown Live fallout from the Royal Rumble. Uh, and then the Cruiserweight match, I did get to see a little bit of that one. And Buddy Murphy won that match. And... Uh, you know, mentioning about Dean Ambrose leaving WWE, I actually read just a little while ago before I got started on this, is that Hideo Itami uh, was granted his release from WWE, and he was the person that I also picked to win the Cruiserweight match if Buddy Murphy wasn't going to retain, and, well, I guess in, you know, however, in like however many months, we'll see him probably at double or nothing, who knows. But, to the main show of the Royal Rumble, we kicked it off with Becky Lynch and Asuka. It's a great way to start the pay-per-view. It was a good, fast-paced match. Uh, even though most of us figured Asuka was going to win, they did make it feel like maybe Becky Lynch was going to regain the championship. Of course, Asuka won the match, retaining her championship. It was a very good match. There were a couple of wardrobe malfunctions that went on during the match. So anyone that was watching, at least in the U.S., the screen blacked out at some parts. It's because, you know, the upper body region of Becky Lynch might have slipped out a time or two. And, you know, to avoid any controversy with exposures and stuff like that, they blacked out the screen and whatever. And... Then we had the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship match of The Bar versus Miz and Shane McMahon, which was a very good match, surprisingly much better than everyone expected it to be. And, of course, Shane and Miz won the match with Shane getting scoring the pin after a damn almost near-perfect shooting star press onto, I believe it was Sheamus? I don't know, I have to watch it again. Then we had the Raw 
Women's Championship match, Ronda Rousey and Sasha Banks, which was a very good match as we expected it to be. And Ronda Rousey retained, this time with her first pinfall victory in WWE with the that weird Samoan drop thing that she does that they call it Piper's Pit. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, they just, it was that was the ending of the match. Which you know, then after afterwards, you know, Ronda went to go shake Sasha's hand. They were down the they were in the middle of the aisle, and Sasha shot up the four horsewomen sign. And of course, that means they're building up to the WWE four horsewomen versus UFC four horsewomen, which you know, we've been speculating about that for a couple of years now ever since Shayna Baszler made her 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 debut into the WWE ah, sorry I'm having a hard time speaking tonight <clears throat> uh, then we had the women's royal match after that which was yeah there were a couple of sloppy little botches here and there and you know which it happens in, in all the Royal Rumble matches, and I saw a lot of people complaining specific only about the women's match. Uh, I don't know. You know, is that or is that people being sexist, misogynist, whatever you want to call it, I don't know. But, you know, I enjoyed the match. Uh, I enjoyed the couple of surprise entrants that we had in there, like Rhea Ripley, that was exciting. <sighs> Take a sip of my water. Um... Uh, what's her name, is that Casey, what's her name, I can't remember the last name, but that little s spot where she wrapped her legs around the ring post and then climbed back into the ring that way, that was pretty cool, I like that. And then uh, Lana came out at number 29, and you know, during the, pre during the pr US title pre-show match, they did a spot where she hurt her ankle, and then she, no, she came out at 28, yeah. Uh, in the Rumble match, and then Nia Jax came out at 29 and decided, you know, that she was going to beat Lana's ass, hurt her ankle some more, and then Carmella came out, uh, and, and then Lana's still on the floor hurting, and then, of course, the man, Becky Lynch, decided to come out. Fans went nuts. She demanded that they put her in the match to take Lana's spot, uh, and Finley told her to go right ahead, and she went right in, kicked all the ass, and won the match, and more on that when we get to Monday Night Raw. And the WWE Championship match was it was a good match, just, I don't know, something felt a little off about this one, I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, I guess we'll, well, I guess we'll see, you know, where this all leads to, but uh, Eric Rowan is now, uh, I guess, uh, I guess what, what, Diesel was to Shawn Michaels in 1993-1994. That's what Eric Rowan is going to be for Daniel Bryan now. Uh, I mean, something. But, you know, all the things that it, for Eric Rowan to make his WWE return for, this is something I never would have predicted. Uh, also, I wanted to say, uh, because they were at the baseball stadium, Chase Field, I really, actually really liked how their entrance was through the dugout. I don't know. It just if it, it, it made it it made it feel just that that little bit more special. And plus, that the aisle the aisleway was like you know like off to the side instead of just straight down like usual. I don't know for some reason I like when the entrances like aren't just straight down to the ring. I like when when it's off to the side and they have to make that curve. I don't know why I I, I like when they when the entrances are like that for some reason. I just do. You know, like at WrestleMania six, 
it was off the the ring. It was off the corner from the ring, and then uh, WrestleMania eight was the same thing. Uh, and what's another one? What's another one? Uh, uh, WrestleMania twelve also they were off. The entrance was off to the side. WrestleMania thirteen, no, not thirteen. WrestleMania WrestleMania fourteen off entrance off to the side. Raw ninety nine off entrance was off to the side. Uh, WrestleMania 19, the entrance was off to the side. I don't know, I just, I like when the entrances are like that for some reason. I don't know why. I just do. Yeah. <sighs> but anyways, uh, the US, not US, the Universal Championship match, Brock Lesnar and Finn Balor, was was actually, out of the non-Royal Rumble matches, was my favorite match of the, of the pay-per-view. Because like I said, for whatever, Brock Lesnar just seems to be at his best when he takes on these smaller guys. Uh, like when he again when he fought CM Punk at SummerSlam 2013, awesome. When he fought AJ Styles, Survivor Series 2017 was awesome. When he fought Daniel Bryan at Survivor Series last year, it was awesome. And when he fought Finn Balor here, it was awesome. And they made you believe for a second that maybe he was gonna lose the title to Finn Balor. They he was they they made it believable, and I love that. It was a it was awesome. It was great. Yeah, of course we knew Finn Balor wasn't gonna win. Yeah, but there was just that little bit of hope that he would, and they made they made you think for a second that maybe he was gonna get it until you know he finally caught him in the Kimura lock and forced him to tap out, and you know it was it was I just really loved it. And the world the main the men's world the match was ex pretty exciting too. We had several surprise NXT entrants, but probably the biggest surprise entrant was. When Jeff Jarrett came out at number two, which you know, apparently now he's uh, a producer for WWE and he's going to be making on-screen appearances every now and then as well. So, you know, good for him. You know, if I remember the last Monday Nitro, the Vince McMahon was saying that Jeff Jarrett is never going to be in WWE again. And here we are 2019 and he's a producer for them now. So that's pretty cool. You know, we'll see what comes out of that. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, one of the biggest things that people were talking about from the Royal Rumble match was when R-Truth came out at number 30, he got his ass beat by Nia Jax and she put herself in the match instead, making her the fourth woman in Royal Rumble history after China, Beth Phoenix, and Karma to enter the men's Royal Rumble match, but she's the first one to enter the women's and the men's Royal Rumble match in one night. So that's, you know, she made history right there for herself. Um, you know, if this is going to lead to her, I guess, being this generation's China, where she takes on the men, you know what? That's fine. I don't mind it. I think that's pretty cool. She's If they're going to do that with anyone in WWE, she's the right person to do it with. Um, uh, she got an RKO. She got a super kick from Dolph Ziggler. She got 619 from Rey Mysterio. And you know what? Awesome. <laughs> and, and of course, Seth Rollins won, who was my pick to win this. And I'm happy about that very much. And now moving on to Monday Night Raw. Uh, we kicked off the show with Seth Rollins talking about how he was so happy that he got to he won the match and uh you know, made a little th little joke about getting the point at the, the WrestleMania sign. You know, we all had a had a good little moment with that. And Triple H came out, and uh, when Triple H came out to, I guess, congratulate, he was congratulating Seth Rollins. He actually he, he started to get a little emotional, and 
it honestly felt genuine. It wasn't like I didn't feel like it was he was just putting it on for the script because you know again the in the Thy Kingdom Come documentary he's like you know he's not that good of an actor, <laughs> but huh if if his his emotional re reaction to Seth w winning the Rumble felt very genuine at least to me it did and. You know, then of course they said by the end of the night he was going to announce who he picks for WrestleMania. Then Dean Ambrose came out and said some shit I don't remember. Uh, but then when he was he basically he demanded a match against Seth Rollins and Triple H was walking out and before he he could get out of there, Seth Dean Ambrose said, "Oh, what you need to get you need to ask your father-in-law for permission." And the fans started chanting, "Yes, he does," which was pretty hilarious. Uh, but you know, then they had a match and. Seth Rollins beat him, curb stomp, clean, one, two, three, and then Dean was was about to get on the microphone and say something, but Nia Jax came out, and she had a face-to-face -face with Dean Ambrose, and then she beat him up too, and, uh, but more on Dean Ambrose when I'm done talking about Raw and SmackDown. Uh, honestly, I don't remember that much else of what happened on Raw, I mean, we had uh, a, a nothing match with Baron Corbin and Kurt Angle, which I don't know why we had that. Uh, you know, because they, they kept telling us that we were going to, you know, no, none of the same old shit kind of thing. But here we are with some of that same old shit. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, for whatever reason, that's what they wanted to do. And yeah, I guess good for them. You know, that was something. Uh, and Finn Balor had a nice promo where he said, you know, that he, he made Brock Lesnar believe and that he got he got his ass kicked by Bobby Lashley, which I guess that's going to be a, a storyline now. And, uh, we had a couple of qualifying matches for the Women's Elimination Chamber match to crown the new, the first ever WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. It was Alexa Bliss and Mickey James against Nia Jax and Tamina. That was what came up after the Dean Ambrose segment and Nia Jax Tamina won. We had another qualifying match, which was the Riot Squad versus Dana Brooke and Natalya. Riot Squad won. Uh, we had a, the Revival versus Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, which, that's awesome. Y'all love Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. Big fan of their podcast, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. You know, both of my are my you know fellow New York guys, Long Island and Queens. Kurt Hawkins representing us New York Mets fans. Uh, of course, he's still on his losing streak. But I feel like they're going to build up to that, That's to him having a big victory at some point. Who knows, maybe the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania. That'll be Kurt Hawkins' big vi victory uh, out of all this. Which, hey, you know, you're going to end his losing streak. Why not do it at WrestleMania? And then we had another segment with Elias, which I guess now Elias is back to being a heel again, which... Honestly, he was he was always better as a heel, so I don't know why they even considered making him a babyface. And then uh, Jeff Jarrett came out, and Road Dog came out. They started singing with my baby tonight, and then Elias kicked both their asses. So that's something. Ronda Rousey's open challenge where she fought Bailey. Then after the match, Becky Lynch came out and declared she will be facing Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania. We all got excited and. Rhonda stumbled over her words in her pre-match promo because the fans kept booing her and chanting for Becky, which, I don't know, I mean, if Rhonda wants to continue to continue her WWE career, she's going to have to get over her, her nerves with her promos. Uh, then we also had another nothing match with Braun Strowman and Drew McIntyre that ended in a DQ finish, and... 
And then we had the closing segment with Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins, which of course means that's what's going to happen at WrestleMania, so that's cool. You know, that's what everybody's been wanting for the last two years, so yay. Uh, now moving on to SmackDown, we opened up with a promo from Becky Lynch, you know, basically declaring, you know, she's going to WrestleMania to take on Ronnie. Then Charlotte Flair came out saying that all this was because of her. And Becky punched her in the face, which was pretty awesome, too. Uh, I love Charlotte, but I don't know, just her getting punched in the face was pretty awesome. And then we had a U.S. title match with R-Truth and Shinsuke Nakamura, which R-Truth won the match, but the way he won the match, it looked like it wasn't supposed to happen that way. But then Rusev came out and had a championship match with him, and R-Truth won there. So I guess, like, yeah, maybe, I guess, maybe that was how it's supposed to happen. And then afterwards, Rusev and Nakamura decided to team up on R-Truth, which I guess is going to you know, mean that they're going to be a tag team for a little while, because they did have a segment backstage with uh, Luke Gallus and Carl Anderson, where they were saying, like, yo, guys, that wasn't cool, blah, blah, blah. Rusev said, I'll team with you one time, and something, I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, we were supposed to have a Rey Mysterio and Samoa Joe, but he got his ass kicked by Andrade. And then we had a segment with The Miz and Shane McMahon celebrating their victory, where they brought out Miz's dad, where he finally got to hear him say, I love you and I'm proud of you, which is cheesy, but, you know, it served the purpose of the storyline. And then they had a four-team a four a four elimination number one contenders match with uh, Heavy Machinery, The Bar, uh... I forget who the other team was, and the Usos, the Usos won that, so that was cool. They'll be facing them at the Elimination Chamber for the tag team titles. Uh, oh, and we also uh, got Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville are going to be in the Elimination Chamber match as, for the tag team titles as well. So, you know, we'll see who else is going to be joining in the next few weeks. And then we close the show with Daniel Bryan coming out and unveiling the new uh, uh, vegan WWE Championship made from sustainable hemp and carved wood and a few little little pebbles uh, to make up the gems. I remember at the, at the, during the TLC pay-per-view, I tweeted out if they I wonder if they're going to sell a vegan-friendly Daniel Bryan WWE Championship on their on on the WWE online store. And I'm really, really hoping that they will, because I would love, seriously, I would love to purchase this 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 belt and just have it on display for myself, because it is just the most absurd thing. But I also absolutely love it. I do. But then we had a couple also a couple other guys that came out uh, during the promo, and Triple H announced that at the Elimination Chamber we were gonna we we're gonna have a WWE Championship match with Daniel Bryan defending against Randy Orton. Mustafa Ali, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Samoa Joe. So that's going to be a pretty cool one. Um, and I'll have my predictions for that up in a couple of weeks uh, once we get more of these matches on here. Now that's it for the fallout from the Royal Rumble on Raw SmackDown. Now let me get to the Dean Ambrose situation. It was officially confirmed and reported by WWE that Dean Ambrose will not be renewing his contract when it expires in April, and I'm and I'm assuming that you know his the WrestleMania would be end up being his final match. You know that's just my assumption. But 
I know there's a lot of fans out there saying this has to be a storyline because WWE never announces when someone is leaving and not renewing their contract. Except, yes they have. They've done this twice but that I can remember in the past. First time that I remember was in 20, January 2014 when Caitlyn, aka Celeste Bonin, that when her contract was expiring, they announced that she was not renewing with her contract and she would be leaving once it expires, and then she had her final match with the company as a full-time wrestler against AJ Lee. And then in 2016, when Wade Barrett, Bad News Barrett, King Barrett, whichever one you want to call him, when his contract was expiring and he chose not to renew, they announced that there as well that he was not renewing his contract. So people that are saying that this has to be a storyline because why would WWE post something like that? They've done it before. They've done it plenty of times before. Well, not plenty of times, but just the two times that I can remember. But, but you, you know what I mean. Just, they've done it before, so it's not a brand new concept, really. But what is WWE going to do with it? Uh, when the time comes, does come for him to leave? I don't know. We just have to wait and see. Like I said, I'm assuming that they're going to have him have his final match at WrestleMania. But we will but we'll find out and in the over the next few months. Uh, now that's enough of WWE stuff. Uh, I just want to talk about a couple of things from this past weekend where I I recently purchased the uh, those limited edition collectors sets for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy and the Amazing Spider-Man movies that they released in 2017 around the time Spider-Man Homecoming was coming out. Well, I recently purchased those and I spent the weekend watching them and I got to watch the editor's cut of Spider-Man 3 that's featured on the Sam Raimi set. And this is the first time that I got to watch that and I mean it is a little different from the theatrical cut that we got of Spider-Man 3 because most people will say that Spider-Man 3 is the worst of the Spider-Man movies. I say it's tied with Amazing Spider-Man 2 even though both films have some moments that I did love. Uh, but the editor's cut, honestly, it was a. I don't know. I would I would compare it to uh, the producer's cut of Halloween Six, where you know that some scene there's some scenes are you know like have alternate dialogue or there's alt like alternate angles and uh, some scenes completely cut out, new stuff put in. Um, I don't know. It, it it is it does feel a little different at, at a lot of parts. Uh, um, like there's a lot, there's a lot more of, uh, of, of Peter with, with the struggling with the black suit and sitting the symbiote and all that. Um, like, and when he enters the Osborne house, uh, for his fight with Harry in the middle of the movie, uh, in the editor's cut, it's not like how it was in the theatrical cut where he just is at the window and they start fighting. Like, no, it's, he's laying on the little, the little couch bed thing that Norman was, that he placed Norman on in the first Spider-Man movie where he died. And that's, and then they start fighting from there. And, uh, instead of Harry entering the fight, you know, sorry to spoil this for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but, you know, when Harry decides to join the fight at the end of the movie, instead of doing so because the butler convinced him that, no, nah, it was your dad's glider that killed him, not Spider-Man, it's Peter leaves, and then Harry looks at an old picture of the three of them, to, of him 
Mary Jane together, all three of them. And then that's then then they cut away from that and that's when they go to when he decides to save to save Spider Man at the end of the movie, which I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I mean, is it a better version? I don't really know. It's it's kind of there, and I'm. I mean, I'm glad that I have the set. You know, again, I wouldn't exactly say it's better. It's just a little different. You know. Uh. But you know, speaking of Spider-Man, I actually recently finally got to start playing the Spider-Man game for the PlayStation Four. In fact, I actually paused it so that I can record this podcast for you guys because I didn't want to stay up too late. Because uh, I do have some other things that I got to do for the week. Uh, like I said, recording this Wednesday evening. I have the game paused right now so that I can record this for you guys. And I'm having a lot of fun playing the Spider-Man game. It's, you know, like, I, like I've always said, Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel Comics character. It's my He's my second favorite superhero overall after Spi- after <clears throat> Sorry, after Superman. Of course, Superman is number one. Spider-Man is number two for me. And... Oh, and I loved the Spider-Man games on the PlayStation 2 that I used to have. Um, honestly, yeah, this is definitely the best Spider-Man game that I've ever played. Uh, been doing, and I'm trying to make it last as much as long as I can. So I'm doing all the side missions and little side quest stuff to kind of to hope to make the experience last a little longer for me because I I'm having too much fun and I don't want to to stop just yet. Uh. And I haven't unlocked all of the suits yet. I'm, I've, ha- I've, I've got most of them. Uh, like I have the, the homecoming, Mark, you know, Tony Stark suit. I have the homemade homecoming suit. I, the, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a few of them. And I just finished a, a little story with a, uh, with a black cat. A little side mission for that that I just finished on there. And I look forward to playing the rest of this. Um, yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> um, uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? Oh, yeah. let's. I guess this next... I guess the remainder of this podcast is going to be all about DC and DCEU. Because uh, Aquaman has officially become the highest grossing DC Comics film of all time. Yes, you heard that right. Aquaman. The character that was seen as the biggest joke by so many people for so many years has officially surpassed The Dark Knight Rises as the highest grossing DC Comics film of all time and currently sits at number 24 of the highest grossing films of all time. And that is amazing to me. It really is. And I've, I love Aquaman and I can't wait for when they, whenever they release the Blu-ray for it. I'm assuming probably be around March or April, more likely April. Uh, can't wait to purchase that. Just like I can't wait to purchase Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse when that Blu-ray comes out as well. Uh, it's, see, the last information that I see on here, it sits at 1,092,150,664. That's probably not the, the most updated, up-to-date numbers, but that's what I found on here. And either way, just... It's amazing that Aquaman is now Warner Brothers and DC Comics' most profitable star. It's it's amazing. But I'm proud of them. Proud of Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, Patrick Wilson, Willem Dafoe, Nicole Kidman, all of them. Uh, proud of James Wan for directing an awesome film and delivering 
you know, something that we never would have expected. <laughs> and it's a fucking travesty that they were not nominated for Best Facial Effects at the Academy Awards. And that's all I'm going to say about the Oscars, because if I go on a rant about that, it's going to stir up a whole bunch of shit. But, uh, we got the Birds of Prey teaser clip that they released this week. And that's pretty exciting. That's, uh, of course, we didn't even expect to see that, because we first got the little picture of Margot Robbie that she shared on Instagram with the caption, Miss Me, where... She's putting up the peace sign with the lipstick and looking like she's blowing a kiss to us with a funky looking jacket and chains and the heart tattoo on her face and the little dog tag with the name Bruce on it, which nobody knows what that means, but we will find out when we see the movie and, and over a year from now. Uh, but yeah, the 20 second teaser clip or 18 second teaser clip that we they released this week we got to see quick glimpses of most of the cast so far we got to see mary elizabeth winstead as huntress rosie perez as renee montoya we got to see ewan mcgregor as black mask without the mask i'm sure he'll wear it at some point in the movie ella j bosco as cassandra kane uh chris messina as victor zaz uh uh Janae smollett bell as black canary See, she's, she's got the blonde hair. Everyone can stop complaining about that shit. You know, she looks pretty damn good so far. And then there's that one shot in the taser clip that has a person playing with a bat, which most of us assume it's Harley Quinn. But at the same time, we're not really sure because looking at, at first glance, you would think so. But I mean, you don't really see all the tattoos, but I don't know. And then, of course, we got to see the Harley Quinn at the end of it, again, wearing that funky-looking little jacket. Looks Looking like she's drinking margaritas or mimosas or whatever it is. I'm not a drinker, so I don't know what the hell it is. And she's still got the little pit, the pigtails, and she's got some bangs going as well. Uh, and then also some awesome set photos that I was that, that they we got to see a little bit of this week. Shows her at a Exotic Animals shop where... A lot of people are hoping that she's going to have her hyenas like she had in Batman the Animated Series. So, you know, we shall see what comes out of that. And I look very much forward to seeing the official trailer for it that we're probably going to get at San Diego Comic-Con in July. And as well as more information regarding that. And uh the other big news coming out of this week is that Zack snyder is back Zack snyder is back in the director's chair or he will be because he will be directing army of the dead for netflix according to the hollywood reporter an exclusive from the hollywood reporter headline Zack snyder returning to movies with zombie action pick army of the dead and uh, of course he got his big break in Hollywood directing the 20, 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead, which was pretty damn awesome. If you haven't seen it yet, please go and watch it. One of the best horror remakes I have ever seen. And let me read a little bit that we have on here for this movie. Here's uh, says Zack Snyder. Uh, quote from him says, There are no handcuffs on me at all with this one. Uh, with which, if you've been following the drama with him at Warner Brothers and Justice League, and Batman v Superman and everything else regarding Zack Snyder and WB and DCEU, you know that that's 
but good thing. Trust me. And let me see. Uh, another quote down here says, I thought this was a good palate cleanser to really dig in with both hands and make something fun and epic and crazy and bonkers in the best possible way. Uh, quick little paragraph on here. So, the new project features several full circle moments for Snyder. For one, it brings the filmmaker back to the, the genre of his feature debut to the 2004 Zone of the as I, already, as I already mentioned, which launched his high-profile helming career. It also reunites him with Netflix movies head Scott Stuber, the executive who originally saved Snyder, gave Snyder, rather, his big screen shot on the Universal release. And as much as Snyder has made his name with high-flying comic book adaptations such as 300, Watchmen, and the various DC movies, this new project is one he is proud to call truly his own. Uh, and another quote from Snyder, I love to honor canon and the works of art, he says of his adaptations, but this is the opportunity to find a purely joyful way to express myself through a genre. Uh, I'll put the link in the description for you guys so that you can read that whole article. Uh, I'm excited to see this. There's no date for when this is going to come out. I'm assuming it'll probably be next year. Again, it's coming to Netflix, and uh, Netflix has been killing it with their original films. I mean, Bird Box, I haven't seen it yet, but I know Bird Box was a big thing over the holidays. Uh, I haven't seen it, but... I know that Bird Box was a big hit for Netflix, spawned all kinds of memes and all kinds of crazy shit for them, uh, got a lot of attention, and it, I think it was actually the most watched uh, movie during that during the time that it was initially released, so hey, you know, Netflix, they've, nine times out of ten, they, they, they knock it out of the park, basically, <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is going to be a 100% Zack Snyder, uh, he's gonna basically have all full control over this, and as again, as he said, no handcuffs, no restraints from from the big studios like Warner Brothers, uh, and I love that, and I'm excited for that. And I'm gonna close this one with uh, for us DCEU fans and fans of Batfleck. With some sad news uh, from Deadline.com, headline, The Batman's Fly in Summer 2021, Ben Affleck Passes the Torch to Next Generation of Bruce Wayne. <sighs> uh, it says, exclusive, Warner Brothers is dating their next rendition of, for Batman for June 25th, 2021. So, hey, we got a release date, so that's good. And this is the one that Matt Reeves has been attached to as writer and director, and Ben Affleck, we hear, will not be donning the Dark Knight's tights after playing the Cape Crusader in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, and Justice League, and that's because this movie will focus on a younger Bruce Wayne. Uh, that What that means is that he's not going to be Batman in the Matt Reeves Batman film, which sucks. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he is completely done playing Batman. There's nothing in there that says he's done for good as Batman. I mean, that's the assumption. Which, honestly, the way people shit on him, shit on him so hard for 
the stupidest reasons, and if you want to hear more about that, check out my previous podcast regarding the DCEU. But, yeah, I don't really blame him for wanting to step away for a little bit, at least. Because, you know, it's a lot of pressure that, you know, people that were placed on him for this. Now, and he put it out in a tweet for retweeting the Deadline Hollywood link for the article, and he says, Excited for the Batman at summer 2021, and to see Matt Reeves' vision come to life. So, so basically, he's still inc- being encouraging to Matt Reeves and the people that are going to be working on the production of the film. So, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, at least he's keeping positive spirits for that, and uh, I'll put the link in the description for that as well. Um. And I also have the, I'll put up the link for the Dean Ambrose story from WWE.com. Uh, now, if this does mean that Ben Affleck is no longer going to be Batman for the DCEU, then yes, that does break my heart a little bit. Because he, out of all the Batmans, you know, from Adam West to Michael Keaton to Val Kilmer to George Clooney to Christian Bale, Ben Affleck was my favorite live-action Batman. Uh, even Kevin Conroy from Batman the Animated Series and several animated films and the Arkham games and the Injustice games, who he is my f- absolute favorite Batman, number one, live-action and animated. Even Kevin Conroy said Ben Affleck was the best Batman, or best live-action Batman, at least. And, man, I, it sucks that we didn't get to see how he was supposed to be in the real original Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. And a lot, of, a lot more information keeps coming out about that. Uh, but at least we got to see him in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition especially. And the quick little couple of scenes in Suicide Squad. Uh, but speaking of uh, information on Justice League, listening to the most recent Kevin Smith podcast, he talked about that he got to speak with somebody who worked on both versions of Justice League, the Zack Snyder version and the Joss Whedon version. And he said that Justice League was going to be three films. That it was going to be essentially what we got in theaters, although not exactly. And that at the end they were going to see the boom tube and Darkseid would be on the other side of that boom tube. He would see the League. The League would see Darkseid. And in part two, that they were going to go out to seek Darkseid. And then uh, that they were going to go to war with him and all this and that. And, that at the, and then basically it was it would have ended like Infinity War where everything just goes to shit. Earth is has, be, has been taken over and destroyed by Darkseid and it becomes a, a new apocalypse basically. And then Justice League Part 3 was going to be... Remember the night? Remember the nightmare sequence from Batman v Superman? Well, according to what Kevin Smith spoke about, he said that's what Justice League Part Three was going to be: Batman leading the charge, taking down Darkseid. Now, if this is true, then holy shit, did we get robbed? A pretty fucking epic story, my god! Oh, and I'll put the link to the YouTube version of the podcast because. For Kevin Smith, I, I enjoy listening to, the, to it on Spotify, but I prefer watching the video on YouTube because I like, I like seeing his reactions to stuff. But I'll put the link to that in the description as well. And 
seriously, if that is the if that is what we were supposed to get for the Justice League movies, then yeah, we were seriously robbed of a f truly fucking awesome and epic story. <sighs> Basically, it was going to be Infinity War and Endgame. Because you know, it was going to be Justice League, and then it was going to be Part 2, and then it was going to be Part 3, and then... Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, and and that's that's the, that's the other cool thing with, with Kevin Smith, even if he didn't, even though he didn't, he didn't necessarily like Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, you know, I don't I don't know his full thoughts about it, but I don't know. even he's championing for Warner Brothers to release the Snyder Cut, and just again, <sighs> I love that people within the the community like him and Ray Fisher and Jason Momoa that they are championing. The release the Snyder Cut movement like that. Now, although with Kevin Smith, he's not necessarily championing the movement, but he is saying they should release the cut. Um, <sighs> I don't know. Just all kinds of crazy shit that's been going that's going on with Warner Brothers and DCEU. Uh, I mean, at least we got confirmation of when Matt Reeves' Batman film is coming out. Um... Uh, curious to see what we're going to learn about that. Hopefully, at San Diego Comic-Con this year, we'll learn more, su such as who is going to be Batman. I mean, at the very least, they have to announce who's going to be Batman at, at San Diego Comic-Con this year. And if not at San Diego Comic-Con, then at New York Comic-Con in October. Either way, I'm looking forward to the future of the DC films. We got Shazam coming out uh, in the first weekend of April, WrestleMania weekend, which is just gonna be a busy weekend for me, <laughs> uh, and then we got, we got Joker coming out in October, Birds of Prey, The Fed's Happyless Emancipation of Harley Quinn, that's the full title, coming out February of next year, and then Wonder Woman 1984 in June of next year, so, got some good films to look forward to. And well, that's well, that's gonna be it for me this week. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing me shoot the shit, if you can even call it that, talking about all everything that I talked about. Uh, I think I'm gonna probably I'm gonna try to do more podcasts like this, where I don't just stick to one topic. I speak about different things like this because I don't know. I enjoyed it. It's fun. Uh, but next week I'll do my. Uh, toxic fans podcast that I was going to do for this week, but I decided to move it to next week because I wanted to do this week talking about the uh, the Royal Rumble and the fallout from that and everything else that went on that I talked about. Uh, but yeah, I will have my toxic fans podcast for next week, and then I'll have my elimination chamber predictions the week after. And yeah, if you guys have any uh, podcast ideas for me after. Elimination Chamber, then feel free to send them my way on Twitter at IamFossitude. Um, just, you know, yeah, have any ideas, any questions, tweet me. I'll respond. Uh, yeah, you know, you know the usual thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you all so much for watching and listening. I'll see you all next week.